0: Praise the Lord. Raise your hands and thank God. Our God is a big God. Amen. He may be seated. Tonight, with all that's going on and what I see on Facebook, some people are, I mean, it's just crazy. And uh, I've asked Kirk DeWaugh, who teaches eschatology, if you want to know, that's what we call it in, in Bible school. It's uh, ages and dispensations and Daniel and Revelation and all the end time stuff. They said, well, don't you know it? Yeah, I know about it, but I hadn't studied it in a while. And I learned from my dad, never try to give an answer on something or talk about something from the Word of God that you hadn't studied recently. And I haven't. I have, I am, some of you know who Gordon Lindsay was. Gordon Lindsay was the head of the Voice of Healing. My dad was a part of that. He and Gordon were very good friends. That's during the healing revival of 47 to 58. And he had a daughter named Carol Lindsay. And in her early 20s, she went to Israel as a missionary and married Arisacharom. And they've had a Messianic ministry in israel all these years i've known her since we were 12 or 13 years old and i've been in contact with her and tell you we're praying for them she asked especially that we pray most all of their staff has been called in and most of the churches that they're in and involved with have they've all been called up if you don't know it in israel when you reach a certain age you go into the service And then when you get out, you're not in reserve. You're just on call until a certain age. And I think they've called up about 300,000. And she said, pray for, especially for those of the Messianic Jews that are involved in this. And uh, so I've asked Kurt to talk to us. There's no use for us to be afraid. Some people are afraid. But we do need to pray. And we do need to just keep our stand Hey, God's gonna take care of us. You just gotta believe it and trust him. Come on, Kirk. He's he's our instructor at Rama. This he knows he he studies this all the time. I had I had it in Bible college, but I hadn't studied it in one. In fact I talked used to talk with it with my father and my grand and my father in law, Lynette, I'll tell you that they would discuss this all the time. I got to join in those. But it's been a while,
1: so I'm going to turn it over to him. Thank right. you, Pastor. Right. Praise Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor and Mrs. Hagan, for the opportunity to uh, share with you. Um, we've, we're all pretty much aware of what's been going on in Israel for the last few days since Saturday. I, I woke up at around three or so in the morning because I have on my cell phone a, an app called Red Alert, which goes off every time there's a missile launch in Israel. And it was nonstop ringing. And had point that woke me up at 3 in the morning, 2.30, 2 something like that in the morning. And I looked at my phone, and I saw all these missile launches. I thought, uh-oh, something big is happening. So then we began to watch the news, and of course, you know, we know what's been going on. And uh, it's... Uh, I've had a heaviness, a, a spirit of travail uh, on me since, since uh, Saturday. And uh, seeing the images, you know, that have come out of there are horrendous, and yet... It needs to be shown to the world, because people need to see what's going on. And so there's been a lot of chatter on social media, and uh, people are getting, like Pastor said, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And um, I just want to try to make some sense out of things tonight uh, to give us a sense of where we're at, amen? First of all, turn off social media. I call them Facebook Pharisees and Twitter theologians. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if you tweet, Jesus loves you, somebody wants to have a theological debate. And 'm sad to say, some of these are ramagrads that just seem to do nothing but sit on social media all day ready to launch something at somebody that says something. And it just breeds, Paul talked about that in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Word of God. He said these things breed, you know, strifes and divisions, and to avoid these foolish arguments. And so I've just backed off on some of that stuff. It's not worth it. Plus, if Facebook and the news media is, is your reference for what's going on in the world, world today, then you're in shaky ground. Jesus told us to build our house on the rock, not on sand. And so, we need to go back to the Word of God. And so, I've had a lot of questions in the last few days about, is this the war of Ezekiel? Is this the war of Psalm 83? Is this it? Is this the last war? And my answer is this, no, it's not. Not as long as there's not the nations that are listed involved. This is not a national conflict right now. It is a terrorist organization. And so, unless the nations jump in, which they could, but at this point, I don't think they are. I think that uh, what's happening is just another little skirmish of the devil trying to mess up the plan of God. But as he always does, he overplays his hand. And, and because of the atrocities that have taken place, even countries that have normally criticized and jumped in against Israel are even backing them right now because of, it's hard to argue when you see beheaded babies and burned grandmothers and grandfathers shot in the head and children that have been raped and taken into captivity. But that's the reality that's happening. And so equal tragic is when you see in our own country here, in places like New York and Chicago and California and some of our greatest universities, you have masses of people protesting in favor of what was done to Israel with the Palestinian flag. And let me just say this. I have Palestinian friends in Israel. I I know pastors and ministers that are Palestinian. It's not them. It's this ideology of Islam that's the problem. But when you see even in America this anti-Semitism that's going on on the campuses, we need to understand what's happening so that we as believers, of all people, we should be centered and we we should have a moral compass in the Word of God and in the Holy Ghost to know what's going on. But today, thanks to social media, everybody and their dog has a doctrine out there. And I'm, I'm encouraging you to turn it off and go to the Word. And remember what Brother Hagin said. What does the Bible say? Amen. And I want to start off with a scripture in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and I hope I got the scriptures to them in time for them to put them up, but Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by Facebook, nor by Twitter, nor by... Oh, excuse me. That's anyway. <laughs> As, as though a letter by us that day of Christ was at hand. See, Paul was telling the believers you should not be shaken. You should not be in fear. You should not be moved off of your faith. <clears throat> We're not to be taken by surprise. And what's going on in the world should not take us by surprise. We know that the times we're living in, that we're running out of the church age. We're coming to the end of that time when there's going to be a transition into what I believe will be the last week of Daniel, that God will return to visit his people to deal with Israel and fulfill some promises that are still to be fulfilled in the old covenant. And that's uh, and that we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight as, as we have time. But I want to talk about Israel first. I want to make sense of what's going on. <clears throat> because we shouldn't be ignorant of the devil's devices. We shouldn't be ignorant of what, what the enemy 's doing. We should, we should know what the Word of God says. And when Paul says to these Thessalonians, I don't want you to be shaken or troubled either by a spirit, by word, by letter, about the day of the Lord being at hand, he's talking to all of us. Nothing that happens should shake us from our faith. Nothing that happens should shake us and get us in fear. There's never a place in the Word of God that allows us to be in fear. And so if something is putting us in fear, then we need to check the source. Amen? So, let's talk about Israel for a second. Is this the war that everybody's talking about? The Ezekiel War or the Psalms 83 War? I want us to take a look at Psalms 83 real quick. There's actually three wars that people say are going to take place. There's this war, there's the war of Ezekiel, and then there's the one at the end of the millennium, which is the Armageddon War in the book of Revelation. But in Psalms 83, there's a particular war that takes place. (coughs) And it says... In verse 4, it says, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more. Does that sound familiar? For they have consulted together with one consent, their confederate against thee, the tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagar- Hagarines, the Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, Philistines, with the inhabitants of Tyre, Ashurs join with them, and they have helped the children of Lot. I want to look at that first PowerPoint slide, guys, if you will. And uh, this is a, uh, a slide of the nations that he just mentioned there of this Psalms 83 war. This war will involve people like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, the Gaza Strip, Syria, so forth and so on, all the way up into Lebanon and, and in uh, uh, Iran, or Iraq, excuse me. Some people think this war has already taken place because the, in the Six-Day War, those players were actually the ones that were involved. And so some people think that war has already taken place. I think it's a good possibility that has already taken place and that the next one on the list is the one in Ezekiel. But let's continue looking at that psalm here. What does God do? He, he says, Do unto them as to the Midianites, to Sisera, to Jabin, to the brook, at the brook of Kishon, who perished at Endor. They became as dung for the earth. <clears throat> they make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, and all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna." Who said, Let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. <clears> o <throat> oh my God, make them like a wheel, as a stubble before the wind, as the fire that burns wood, and the flame that sets the mountains on fire. So persecute them with your tempest, make them afraid with thy storm, fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O God, O Lord. And so again, this very well could have already taken place in the six day war, because those very nations were the ones that came against Israel and were defeated in six days. Sounds like God. And there were so many miraculous stories about that. But it's possible that it may take place in the future. Uh, but here's the point. Those players have to be involved. And right now, they're not. Right now, we're talking about a terrorist organization. Maybe two of them, because now Hezbollah in the north is firing missiles. So now they've got two fronts going on. So, but these are terrorist organizations. They're not nations. They're not the things that are listed there by nation. The next war that is mentioned is the Ezekiel uh, 38 war, which if you'll take a look at the next slide, it lists the nations there that are going to be involved in that battle. And these are a completely different set of nations. Notice in this one, Saudi Arabia and Egypt do not participate. Why is that? Could it be because of the Abraham Accords? Could it be because God these peace agreements that are taking place that they're not going to be involved? Jordan won't be involved in it either. But who will? Iran, Turkey, uh, parts of the northern African coast, including Libya and Sudan and Ethiopia. But Egypt and Saudi Arabia are absent from that. And then I want to take a look at that scripture in Ezekiel and take a look at the nations that are involved there. Because, um, again, unless you see these players actively involved... Uh, it's not happening. He said son of man set your face against Gog the land of Magog the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal and prophesy against them and say thus says the Lord God behold I'm against thee O Gog the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal I will turn you back and put hooks in your jaws and bring you forth your and your army your horses your horsemen and all them clothed with all sorts of armor even a great company with buckler shields all of them handling swords Persia, Ethiopia, Libya with them. All of them shield and helmet. Gomer and all his bands. The house of Togarmor. The northern quarters, all his bands. And many people with you. But again, notice back to that slide, the ones that are absent there. You don't see Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, any of those ones on the coast there. Which happen to be the ones that are working on peace agreements with Israel right now. Which is interesting. But uh, I also want to say this. And, and this, this goes... Probably contrary to a lot of the typical pre-rapture uh, end-time eschatology, most people want to put Russia in there. Now, Russia is definitely a player. They're, they've got their hands in a lot of stuff. But Gog and Magog is not Russia. That's not even in the Bible. The, reason, the, re, the way they got that is because the, word, the Hebrew word for chief of the nations or is the word Rosh. And so they said, well, that must be Russia. You know the guy that invented that idea? He got that from the Quran, not the Bible. Now, I don't see that Russia necessarily has to be a main player. They may be a culprit in supplying arms and all that, but Turkey is the Gog and the Magog of the scriptures. But why? I'll show you in a minute. It is the former kingdom of Assyria, of Greece, of Rome, uh, even uh, of uh, Persia. These are the kingdoms that, are, uh, that God is dealing with in the last days. I'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to talk about Israel. Why, what is going on with Israel? What is the importance? Let's go to Zechariah 12, and let's see what's going on in the last days with this nation called Israel. In in Zechariah chapter 12 verse 2 and uh, 3, he says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about when they shall be in siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And at that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. It's talking about in the last days that Jerusalem is going to be the hot button of what's going on in the world. Now Now listen, I cannot tell you in 30 minutes everything I'd like to tell you about Bible prophecy. So I'm just skipping the stone across the water tonight to give you some highlights. But here's the key about understanding Bible prophecy. The Bible was written by Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The prophets were Jews. They were the children of Israel. The first disciples were Jews. The early church were Jewish. The scriptures were written mainly to Jewish churches and then when Paul started ministering more and more Gentiles started coming in. The Bible is written from a Jewish worldview, Israel being the center of what God's doing in the earth the sinner, uh, he chose Abraham so that all the nations of theirs we will so blessed. Out of that people, he, you know, he created the nation of Israel so that he might bring us our Messiah so that all the nations of the world could come into contact with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So everything that we read about Bible prophecy, you have to put on the glasses of the Hebraic Middle Eastern perspective. <clears throat> you cannot look at Bible prophecy from an American Western point of view you'll get wrong ideas. You, people come up with all kinds of crazy things. They try to name the Antichrist every year. <laughs> you know, is it this president? Is it that president? It's not any president of the United States, I can guarantee you, even though some of them might have acted like it. <laughs> but the, the Antichrist, and I'll show you in a minute where he's coming out of. The Bible is very specific where he's coming from. And it's not America. It's not South America. And it's not even most of Europe. I'll tell you in a minute. But Israel is, is what's going to be the hot button that's going to be the, the, the point of contention for the entire world. And look at Zechariah chapter 14. A couple chapters over, verse 1 through 4. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. You see the atrocities that have happened this week? That's not the end of it. There's coming a horrible time. The Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. When this is going to happen even to the point where half of Jerusalem will be taken. But it says at that point, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east. On the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the middle between the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall move to the north and half to the south. And they were going to flee into that valley. This is talking about when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation, when all the nations are gathered against Jerusalem. He comes down and fights for them on that final battle at the end of the tribulation. But in, in the meantime, what, what's going on with Israel? Joel chapter 3 says, in chapter 3 and verse 1 through uh, 2. Joel says, for behold, in those days and at that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations, and they will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and divided or parted my land. God has a controversy with the nations because they've divided his land. And they're trying to force division. on. Do you know why this mess is going on right now in Israel? Because in 2005, in order to secure peace at the pressure of the United States and others, Israel gave that land to the Palestinians and evacuated 8,500 Israelis out of there, made them leave their homes and move into the other part of the land, and gave that whole strip to to the Palestinians. And it's been nothing but a terrorist bed ever since then, a hotbed for terrorism and attacks against Israel. And so when you try to divide... There, there, I could go into a history of trying to divide the land of Israel and how it never works good for those countries that are involved in doing that. And that, why is that? You know, there, There's a lot of anti-Semitism today. There's a lot of things called replacement theology that says God's done with Israel. If God is done with Israel, why is Jesus coming back to Jerusalem? Why is Jesus going to rule from Jerusalem? He's not done with Israel. Hallelujah. And so in, in the, the land of Israel, where does, let's go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. He gives a promise to a man named Abraham, the father of faith. He is the original faith movement father. <laughs> and actually the book of Galatians says that those of us that believe in the Messiah have become by faith children of Abraham. But the Lord appeared to him and said unto you and your seed, I will give this land. And he built an altar there and, and God appeared, where God appeared to him. And then in uh, chapter 15, verse 18 of, of uh, Genesis, and I'm skipping a lot of these. I'm not reading. I read a bunch of these earlier today in, in Revive, but I'm skipping some because of time's sake. But chapter 15, verse 18, it says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said I, unto, you, unto your seed I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. You know, the, the borders have not stopped yet. That will happen completely during the millennium. But th- there is a promise, a covenant that God made with him for, and his children forever. He, re- he repeats the same covenant to, um, to Isaac in Genesis 26, to Jacob in Genesis 28, to Joseph in Genesis 48, and to the 12 tribes. And then in Exodus, chapter 32, verse 13, we'll take a look at that one. He <coughs> He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom you swear by thine own self, and said unto them, I multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I will give to your seed, and they shall inherit it, say forever. That was pretty weak. How long does forever last? Did God ever change his mind on that promise to Abraham's seed? So there's still something about that land that God has his hand on for uh, the people that he chose. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Now we know that Israel messed up and they went into captivity. They disobeyed God and they were taken into captivity for seventy-plus years. First the northern tribes went into captivity to Assyria, but then hundred and twenty some odd years later the southern tribe went into captivity to Babylon for about seventy years. In Second Chronicles chapter thirty, verse nine, a word to those that would come back to the land. He said, If you will turn again unto the Lord your to the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before those that led them captive. So they shall come again to this land, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. So they did come back. They came back with, I, with uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, rebuilt the temple. And then they were subject to the invasion of the, the Greeks, uh, you know, the, the Greek empire, and then the Roman empire. And then in 70 AD, after the destruction of the temple, they were scattered again through the nations. But God still promised, as we read previously in Joel and Zechariah, that they would come back at the end of times and would have possession of those places again and would rebuild once again. Uh, check out uh, Eze- uh, Ezekiel 11. Chapter 11, verse 16. Hallelujah. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast you far off among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I will be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they come. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel." So there is something about that land, and there is something about those people. And people say, well, the church has replaced Israel. No, it hasn't. Actually, Romans 9 and 11 sort of shoot that theory down. Paul very clearly tells them in Romans that you Gentiles, us, have been grafted into them, not not the other way around. That we are partakers of their heritage, not the other way around. Somebody said if there never was a church, there would always be Judaism. But if there never was Judaism, there would never be a church. We are the byproducts of what God did through Abraham and his physical seed to bring the Messiah so that we could be experiencing the goodness of God. That we can come into covenant with God and, and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. So... And uh, what about the people now you know people say well God has done with His, God has rejected his people because he he cast them off in the Old Testament but not without promise of return and and Jesus himself said that Jerusalem would be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles was over and in 1966 after that six-day war for the first time in almost two thousand years they now had possession of Jerusalem again and so it's, a time, it's an indicator on the prophetic time clock of God of where we're at. That The times of the Gentiles, meaning the nations, is waning. And it's time again that God is going to be pointing his finger back into that place and dealing, finishing up what he started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What he prophesied to Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. He still has unfinished work and it's going to be taking place over there. But first, we're in this interim period of time called the church age. And that's the what Paul calls the day of salvation, the day of grace. Even in 1947, they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in, in in Israel there, and they found these this Essene community. And since then, they've uncovered, uncovered lots of evidence. These Essenes were scattered throughout Israel, even in Jerusalem. The place of the upper room is an Essene corner. There's a gate of Essene uh, community right there. So Jesus was involved in that Essene community, which answers a lot of biblical questions, which I can't go into now. But Hey, if you come to Raymond, I'll talk about it in, in the Gospel of John and then second year in dispensational truth and second year in church history and then third year in Daniel and Revelation. So come on. <laughs> I had to put a plug in there for you, Craig. <laughs> but, and for those of you that are alumni that wish you did have that class, guess what? You can come back and audit a class and take a whole term and you don't have to worry about test or attendance. So come see the admissions office. We'll get you set up. But anyway. <laughs> but what, is, what about the church days? Did God cast off his people? Well, let's, let's see what the grace preacher himself said, Paul the Apostle, in chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. That's a, that's, that's a big No. For I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not, or know ye not, that the Scripture says of Elijah how he made intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, that killed your prophets and dig down your altars, and I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. But what did God say to him? I've got 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. So even at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. So God has not cast off his people. He still has promises to fulfill. And actually, if you'll go down a few verses to uh, verse 25 and start there. For I would not have you, brethren, that you should be ignorant. You know how many times Paul says in the Bible, I don't want you to be ignorant? That's why you need to stay off of social media and get in the Word of God. Because ignorance breeds fear. But the Word of God brings faith and truth and comfort. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery that you are not wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in tells me we're getting to that point when the fullness of the Gentiles is about ready to come in. I believe we're in the last great harvest and it's going to be amazingly wild. But he said, he goes on to say, and then all Israel will be saved as it is written, there shall come out a Zion a deliver. When does that happen? It's culminated in that verse in Zechariah, and in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, conquers the Antichrist, steps on the foot of, on the Mount of Olives, and delivers his people. And they look on him, as Zechariah said, they will look on the one whom they've pierced, and they will mourn for him as their only begotten son. And they will, have a, they will see him. They will see the one whom they've pierced, and they will recognize him. That he's the Messiah. Just like Joseph was a type of the Messiah. He was rejected by his brethren, sold into a pit, and delivered into Egypt. But in Egypt, he was raised up. And during the seven years of tribulation, the Israelites came into Egypt, and they didn't recognize Joseph during, the tri- during that tribulation. But in the midst of the tribulation, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and they realized that he was their brother. And in the midst of the tribulation, Jesus is going to re- take the veil off their hearts and reveal himself to them, and they're going to realize he's their brother brother. He's their, he's their Messiah. And as, and here's the thing in studying Judaism, studying Hebrew that you don't see a lot of times in the English, It says, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and the rabbis will tell you, he showed them his circumcision because that was the sign of the covenant. That's what separated him from Egyptians and made him one of them. And it says in Zechariah, that when he comes back, they're going to look on him whom they've pierced. They're going to see the signs of the covenant and they're going to put their faith in that Messiah, Jesus. Amen. So, hallelujah. Glory to God. So, he goes on to say here in Romans chapter 25, he says, concerning the gospel, verse 28, they are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the fathers. Who's the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes. It's a paradox. Because right now, they don't receive our Messiah as a nation. They do individually. Many of them are, many of them have, and they will continue to. But as a nation, as a whole, they reject Jesus as the Messiah. And yet, it's a paradox. So they're enemies in one sense, but yet God, they're loved because God has a plan for them. And it's still in effect. It was not canceled out. And eventually... Those will, they will be saved, the ones that go through that terrible time. But also, right now, there's many of them that are coming to know the Messiah right now. There's, As pastor said, there's, there's many messianics. One of them was killed just on that first day of battle. A messianic believer who went out to fight and gave his life for the, for the nation of Israel. There's over a thousand plus messianic soldiers. Everybody I know in Israel, all the pastors I know, and all the people that I know, their children have been called up. And and some of them, you know, have multiple, you know, sons or daughters called up. Everybody's called up. And so it's this, there's not a household in Israel that this hasn't affected. So we need to pray for them. And and there's a reason for that, too. The Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalms 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They, they shall prosper that love you. When you have God's people at heart, because... They, they, well, let me just read this other verse to you um, in Romans chapter 15, verse uh, 26. It says, For it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It has pleased them truly, verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, then their duty is also to minister to them in the carnal or natural things. We have benefited from the spiritual blessing of our connection with, with the Messiah Jesus, with those Israel the blessings on Israel have flowed to us. He says we have an obligation to return that in a physical way, through physically blessing the nation of Israel. And we can do that, number one, by praying for them and praying for those that are held captive and praying for their, their, their battle that they're in right now. Now let's talk about the tribulation because we know, that, we know that in this end time, Israel is going to be a major player. We know that all prophetic events are tied to that little pity piece of land that's about the size of New Jersey and that little bitty city called Jerusalem and the, right there in the middle of it. That's the hot button for the entire earth. But, you know, the Jews tell us that, you know, that's where Adam was created from the dust off of Mount Moriah. And that's where the temple was built, where God brought redemption. That's where David buried the head of Goliath. If you read the Bible, he took the head of Goliath and buried it in Jerusalem. That's the place where man was created. That's the place where Goliath was defeated. And that's the place where Jesus crushed the head of the serpent when he shed his blood on that mountain, on that cross. That, that place is significant. And as a matter of fact, God says in the scriptures, I have put my name there forever in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And when you get on God's side, many people out there on Facebook and, you know, the theologians and this and that going at it, they're on the wrong side of prophecy and they're on the wrong side of history. And it doesn't go well for those that fight against God's plan. And I'm sad to say in America right now that there's a great percentage of people that are going that direction because of all the junk that's being taught in our universities. This antichrist, anti-Semitic. Did you know that in the in the book of Revelation, it gives us a picture in chapter twelve of the woman, which represents Israel, and the and the and the. You know, she gives birth to the man child, and then it says the devil tried to go after the woman, and he, then he went after her seed, those that hold the testimony of Jesus. The the spirit of antichrist is anti-Semitic and anti-Jesus, anti-Christian, and that's what we're seeing in the world today. We're seeing an increase in anti-Semitism and anti-Christianity, anti-Jesus, anti-Christ. But how many of you know 1 John 4, 4? Can you quote that? Greater is he the se- What about verse 3? Can you quote verse 3? And I threw these guys off. I didn't have the scripture on there. But let every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Where have you heard that it would come? And even now is in the world. But you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who? The spirit of Antichrist. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. I can't get to everything I'd like to, but I just want to tell you this. The tribulation that's coming is not for us. The Bible says we're not appointed to wrath. That's the time of judgment. It's also, in the, in the book of Revelation, after chapter 3, you never see the word church mentioned again. But you see terms that are used that have to do with Israel. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, the Temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the Twelve Tribes. You see the ten plagues of Egypt coming on the kingdom of the Antichrist so the Jews could be delivered. It's all about Israel. It's all about that last week of Daniel, what's about ready to happen. But you don't see the church in there anywhere. You see people that believe in Jesus because people are still going to believe in Christ after the Tribulation. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest revivals is going to happen after we're out of here because it says a multitude is going to come out of there with with faith in Christ. But I want you to understand something. The, the seven-year tribulation is not about G, uh, uh, Satan the superstar. Satan does not have it all together for seven years. If you read Daniel in Revelation, the Antichrist has three and a half years of wars trying to get control. He finally controls a certain region, and as soon as he consolidates power, that last three and a half years of the tribulation, all hell breaks loose. I should, I should say all heaven breaks loose because the judgments start falling out of heaven. As soon as he consolidates his power and sets up his, his, his throne in Jerusalem, the judgments start falling. He can't even get it together for seven years. He can't even get it together for three and a half years. The tribulation is not how great Satan is. It's to prove that Satan is still a loser. Jesus is still Lord. The promises of God have no expiration date. And there's no place for defeat for anybody that believes in Christ. Now, what about us in the church age? Why are we tucking our tails between our legs and heading for the catacombs because we think the Antichrist is around the corner. I remember reading the scripture where Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you want to know the history of that rock, that rock was a place of demonic worship in, in, in Golan Heights in the area of Paneus. It was a demonic, filthy, Occult center of perverted activity in the springtime with sexual perversion and occult activity around that cave to bring, that was called the gates of hell to bring the gods of the underworld out to harvest, to bring brain in the spring. And Jesus took his disciples there in the spring on his way to be crucified and said, I'm going to build my church right in the midst of the devil's park. And he can't stop it. And then he turns around in verse 18 and says, And I give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That does not sound like a defeated church to me. That does not sound like an end-time church hiding in the catacombs. It sounds like we are to occupy till he comes, like he said. And here's the mistake that I think people are making today, because especially with this stuff going on Facebook, fear-mongering. People are withdrawing from the battle. You, if those soldiers over there were afraid and withdrew from the battle lines, they would never win. But that attack has unified them, and they're running to the battle. And yet church, Christians are, are afraid of the battle. They're afraid of the devil. They're afraid of what's coming, and they're wanting to come and get us quickly, Jesus. Listen, I am pre-trib, pre-millennial, <laughs> not, dispensationalist all the way through. But I'm not pre-lazy, I don't believe we're to check out. I don't believe we're to disengage from our society. I don't think we're supposed to pull back from being an influence in the nations that we live in. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We're the church that cannot be defeated. The gates of hell cannot prevail ever, ever, ever. We win. There is no such thing as a defeated church. Oh, sure, they've killed us. And people are dying today in all different parts of the world for their faith. And the church keeps growing. And the church keeps moving. And and besides that, those that have lost their life, they didn't lose nothing. They just transitioned over. And they're going to be part of the army that comes out of heaven at the end. It's a win-win situation. In the first hundred years of Christianity, we have now evidence archaeologically that the gospel went all the way into Great Britain, all the way into China, possibly even to Japan, all the way into India and into Africa before the 100 A.D. Those people believed what Jesus told them, and many of them died. The 70 went out to different places, and many of them were martyrs. The 12 were martyred, except for John. They tried to kill him. They couldn't. Thomas died in India. Several of them died in, in, uh, in Ukraine and in Russia and in, the, and in uh, 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 Syria and places in and, and Armenia, Turkey, Greece, Rome. But they didn't care. And by the end of 313, half the empire Roman Rome had been converted to Christianity. All that did was increase the church. We need to have a different mindset today. We need to get out of this mamby pamby, milk toast, wimpy kind of whatever. We need to suit up and we need to get engaged. We are not supposed to withdraw from our world. We're supposed to go into the gates of hell and bring the light and bring the gospel. That means in the most darkest places, in the most wicked places, we are to bring the light. Hallelujah. One of my desires for, to to see some things going on there in Israel, I believe, and we've been I've been told by pastors in different areas over there, we need the word of faith, and I see they need to understand faith. They need to understand the word, and praise God, I believe it's coming. But they need to see. They, they I just have a desire to see them learn about how to pray with authority. I was just talking to another brother in Jerusalem last night. He said they need to understand how to how to they need to under, they need to understand your faith. They need to know this stuff. But listen, who who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. You know how many times the Bible says? To him that overcomes. Seven times to those churches in Revelation. To him that overcomes. 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 Him that overcomes. <laughs> There's no other option. This is not a time for fear. This is a th- we are at the. You, we are here for such a time as this. We are at the greatest opportunity. We are on the cusp of the greatest revival. It's happening already, but we haven't seen anything yet. And what do, you, what do I personally believe is going to happen in the Middle East? I believe they're going to get through this skirmish, however long it takes. And then I believe the Abraham cords are going to, are going to continue. And because I believe what Paul shows us in, in the, I think it's 2 Thessalonians chapter, maybe it's 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5.1. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. For of the times and the seasons, you don't need anybody, you don't need me to write you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then shall sudden destruction come upon them, as travail upon a woman. He's talking about before this war breaks loose, before all hell breaks loose and the beginning of this trouble for Jacob happens. It's going to be a period of peace and safety. That's why I believe... Now, I may be wrong, and if, if the trumpet sounds today, I'm ready. But I believe that God's not interested in getting us out of here. He's interested in the harvest. James chapter 5, verse 7 says, Be patient, brother, to the coming of the Lord as a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the... The husband waits for the precious fruit of the earth has long patience until it receives it early the early and latter rain... So the next verse, be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord, draweth near. God is waiting for a harvest. God is not waiting for the Antichrist. We are called the hinderer. We're pushing that spirit back. We should be pushing back against this spirit that's trying to take over the world because we're not done yet. We should say, stand down. We have a harvest in every continent, in every nation. We got schools to put on more nations and schools to put on more continents because the harvest is not done. And God's not interested in hurrying up and wrapping this thing up as long as there's billions of souls that have an opportunity to get saved. We need to change our thinking. Get out of fear. Get in the faith. Get out of pessimism. Get in. This is like Esther. You've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. We are at the greatest point of history. We get to see it wrap up. We get to see God do the greatest things. And I believe we're, the merging of the ages is happening. It's coming upon us. And we're going to see signs and wonders and miracles like we've never seen. Because God is interested in people. It's about souls. It's always about souls. People. That's, the, that's what God is after. People. People. That's the pearl of great price. That's the treasure in the field that he paid the whole price and bought the whole field because he's after that treasure. You're the treasure. I'm the treasure. The people out there, that's the treasure that Jesus paid the price for and gave it all so he could purchase them. So I encourage you people, if you have to shut the social media off, shut it off. If you have to turn the, the TV off, turn it off. Get into the Word. Find out your destiny. Find out your place in the army of God. We have work to do. How do I know that you, God still wants to use you? Check and see if you're breathing right now. If you're breathing right now, you're not done. And God has work for you. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray the Holy Spirit would do what I cannot do. I pray the fire from heaven, from the altars of heaven, would be downloaded into their hearts. I pray, Father, that eyes would be opened, scales would fall off, vision would be reborn, dreams would be rekindled, and that people would see that they're not done, that they have a place, they have a part to play in what you're doing in these last days. I thank you, Lord, for a Holy Ghost encounters in the name of Jesus, and I thank you, Father, for if there's any in here that do not know you yet, or they're not walking where they should that right now the Holy Ghost would grab a hold of them and make this a time to get it right in Jesus' name? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Did you learn anything? Hallelujah.
0: The one thing that I want you to get a hold of it says the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is already loosed. And we've got to stand where he was talking about. I want to tell you. Let me. We have got to get involved, and it's been on me, and I've been intending to say something about it. We need to start getting people saved. Bring them into this church. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they smell like. Bring them in. Let's get people saved. That's what we got to do. Thank God for all of our faith and all of our uh, dessert, I call it. The the main the reason the church exists is for salvation. Don't be scared. I, I was I was sitting at my computer getting ready for, for tonight, and I, I I just said and I called my wife and I said, "Listen, I'm. <laughs> what do you think about having Kurt talk to the people tonight?" She said, "I think it'd be a good idea." And uh, we don't need to be afraid. We need to be more involved. God's going to take care of us. If you read the Old Testament, he took care of the children of Israel. We are his children in the Spirit, and he's going to take care of us. Hello. Praise God. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, (laughs) Hallelujah. If you're in this place tonight... And you, like he said, you don't know Jesus. This is the best time in the world to know him because you need to know him. If you need if you need to rededicate your life, you need to come down. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, because that's the power that's going to hold you. Hallelujah. If you need prayer for anything, everybody stand. If you need prayer for anything, the people here are now to minister to you. You come down here Sunday morning, right here. But I, I don't, I don't put nothing on Facebook. I look at it ever, so uh, uh, but I don't ever put anything on it. But cause it, it's ridiculous. I mean, you can put you can put the truth on there, and, there, and somebody that's supposed to be a Christian will start. Arguing with you. It's time that we quit arguing and start getting people saved. I preached in 2003 at Winter Bible Seminar, I ministered God's greater glory. If you hadn't read it or heard it, it's back there in the bookstore. And in it, I said that we are coming into the greatest revival that the world's ever known. And in this end time revival, it's going to be a combination of all the revivals that started way back in the 1700s and came all the way through today. Kurt is part of one of the revivals, the Jesus Movement that's what that was the pre that was the pre the Jesus movement was the pre pre what do you call it? pre it for the charismatic renewal started right on the tail end of the Jesus revival hello what's it if you don't know about the Jesus revival find out about it it's this kids on the beach out in California Chuck Smith is that the correct <laughs> all right hallelujah yeah, there's a movie on it. Somebody said, "Oh, hallelujah." Hey, I don't you ought to be excited tonight and not have any fear. No there's no fear when you know the word, and the word will stand and it will keep you Oh, well, praise God. I'm not supposed to preach. Hey, we'll see y'all Sunday. Shake hands. If you need prayer for any reason, salvation, rededication, the Holy Spirit, get down here right now. God bless.